It's Maria and welcome to First Up. It's Ratu. It's Tuesday, the 14th of February. Kornathan Rarari Aho coming up. Widespread evacuations, tens of thousands of homes without power as Cyclone Gabrielle bears down on the North Island. So, Met Service will be with us shortly with the latest. Also, we're going to uh, tour around the North Island there and get reports from Northland, Gisborne, and Auckland. Also, our very own Leonard Powell is in the Coromandel, but local volunteers are ready for whatever comes their way. Way. If we can get away with using the van or the ute, we will. But if it's a fire truck requirement, then the fire truck will go out. And if it's a jet ski, we take a jet ski. If it's a canoe, it's a canoe. We're, but yeah, we'll do our best to always be there to help. Kia ora everybody, welcome to First Up. Woo, what a drive into work this morning. Uh, if you are in a job where you could work from home rather than at work, I'd suggest do the at-home option today. But look, we're here for you, and yes, we will have Met Service coming up very soon to update you where we can. We head up to Northland as well, also out to Gisborne and uh, to the Coromandel. Uh, so look, any other areas as well that you'd like to let us know about or you just want some information on, uh, let us know, 2101, and we'll try our best uh, to be able to, to help you there. But uh, we start this morning um, actually in the UK, and it's Ali J who joins us from London. Morena, Ali. Ah, oh, Nathan. Hope you're well. Yes, yes, we are. My, my forearms are sore from gripping the uh, steering wheel on the way in. Now, there's, there was a story in the UK at the moment, which is uh, one of those mysteries that grips people. Uh, the story of the disappearance of Nicola Bully just seems to just vanish into thin air. What, what do you know about this? Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, it really has, it's really captured the attention of the public, this case. And it's a very, well, it's very sad and very mysterious. Nicola Bully is a 45-year-old mother of two from Lancashire. She's now been missing for over two weeks and it is a real mystery. So it was the 27th of January that she went missing. Um, she had dropped her daughters at school and was out walking the dog in St. Michael's on Wire, which is a small village in Lancashire, the northwest of the UK. It was a route that she usually took a regular day she was even logged into a work teams call on her phone and they say it was a 10 minute window where she's disappeared she's gone missing her dog was left uh, a lead was left on a bench and a harness for her dog Uh, her phone was found on the bench still connected to that team's call Uh, and since then it has it's been in the news every day and the search has been ongoing so just in front of the bench where she uh, where the items were found is quite a steep bank down into the river um, a tidal river which flows out to the coast and the police were working on the theory that she uh, she fell in or she somehow ended up in the river. They've been conducting searches. There was a specialist dive search team came in and searched the river and the riverbed all around that area. They finished uh, last week they concluded that she was not in that stretch of river and they said there's no more we can do here over the weekend the police search moved out to the coast the theory being because it's a tidal river some quite strong currents that she may have been pulled out to sea so far they've had two boats out in the sea with specialist police search teams they've had sniffer dogs 
it's a huge search and it hasn't yielded any results either. So at the moment, I mean, it's coming up to three weeks now. Friends of Nicola have posted yellow ribbons and posters and notes across a bridge on that river in St. Michael's on Wire. Her husband as well has, has come out and done a few media interviews as well, most recently saying that he doesn't believe that she fell into the river. And lots of people speculating, but this is very much an open missing persons case at the moment. It's it's unbelievable, uh, this. Ellie, just, uh, could you give us a minute on uh, what's going on? Labour Party calling for an investigation into the Conservative government. What what kind of bills have the, the Tories racked up in their spending? Yes, yeah, so this is all to do with government procurement cards, which is kind of, uh, it's actually something brought in by the Labour Party. It's kind of just a, a government debit card. And they were given out to um, various different uh, organisations, so the NHS and but Labour has now come out with this study saying that they're, they're accusing the government of lavish spending. So all these these 14 government departments they're taking a look at uh, and they're saying, pulling out these things, saying um, one department spent nearly or over £3,000 on some fine art photographs for the office. There was also, I think, over £4,000 spent on branded USB chargers for an online uh, conference as well. So Labour has come out saying this is too much, this is lavish spending, look at what they're doing and they've also said that if they were in power they would bring in this new department to uh, scrutinise government spending as well. So there's been lots of talk about that today as well. The Conservative government spokesperson has come out and said um, you know, this is ridiculous, these figures have been online uh, and openly available for years as well. They say that, um, the, that Labour spent big on these cards when they were in power too. I mean, it's lots of kind of tit-for-tat talking as well, um, people being accused of hypocrisy to all of this. But at the moment, that's that's the story. And they're pulling out these kind of, uh, the most, I suppose, this most ridiculous charges. So 40,000 on um, stationery in March 2021 as well, I think, was one of the things. So they're the big headline-grabbing uh, spends from the government. It's a lot of A4. It was probably like three printer cartridges, though, really, when you get out there and have a look at the price of them. Ellie, thank you very much for your time uh, from London. That is Ellie J. It's 12 past five. Yes, if you've been impacted uh, by Cyclone Gabrielle overnight, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe we uh, might be able to help or get some information for you. 2101 uh, text. That's the easiest way to get to us or you can email us first up at rnz.co.nz. So as, as you've heard there in the news, as you'll hear during the day, and as many of you in the upper North Island and North Island, are, actually all of the North Island are experiencing yourself, uh, a pretty miserable night there as Cyclone Gabrielle continued to cut that swathe uh, over uh, Te Ekao Maui. Now... Um, is the worst over? Well, let's uh, see. Hopefully. Uh, joining us now is Met Service meteorologist Heath Gallery. Heath, thank you uh, so much for your time. So uh, people know what's going on in their own backyard, but just tell us, hardest hit areas overnight? Yes, uh, kia ora, Nathan. Uh, yes, a great deal of rain and wind across the north and east of the North Island overnight. Uh, we've had a couple of hundred millimetres of rain across parts of Northland, Auckland, Coromandel, um, Western Bay of Plenty, also around the corner to Gisborne and Hawke's Bay. Quite quite significant rain in a lot of places, and on top of that, also those uh, severe gales uh, coming around uh, Cyclone Gabrielle, 
affecting a lot of areas in the conjunction of the brain. So uh, it brings a lot of slips and uh, flooding and uh, power outages. It's quite a quite a severe event. I'll tell you what, Heath, it's been quite weird to just check my app, you know, which says, are there any power outages, uh, particularly here in Auckland City, and just seeing huge amounts of the city that are out. But if I move around the island, I was thinking that this must be quite an interesting event for you. First off, because it's so massive, but the way that it changes, because in all of the warnings beforehand, I don't think there was too much about um, southern Taranaki, but then I noticed that one yesterday popped up too. So are there, are there any areas that, that particularly surprised you where this weather has, has hit? Not particularly. I think the the warnings pretty much covered uh, all the severe weather that's, that's occurred. But I think the important note, like you say, it's a very widespread event. So pretty much all of the North Island has been affected by either heavy rain or these severe gales. And it's, it's, it's a very broad event across New Zealand, very wide impact. The the winds themselves, uh, how if you're in an area, about how long will you have to, to hunker down for these? You know, like, like what sort of hourly stretch would you look at and say people need to you know look out for? Is it like a twelve hour thing or longer than that? Yes, yeah, pretty much twenty four hours. So the strongest winds arrived yesterday evening um, as Gabrielle came down. And um, we should see the wind starting to ease by this evening or tonight as Gabrielle pulls out to the east of Gisborne. Okay, so if you've got a bit of flappy guttering and you're wondering how long that can last for, it's like, please just hold until hopefully later tonight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so there's certainly some more severe weather to come. And what I would say to people is just keep an eye on the Met Service forecast, keep an eye on the warnings, and certainly listen out to any advice from Civil Defence. Okay. Uh, are there any areas today uh, of of the the country that you look at and say, you know, that this might be uh, one of the worst days for you? Like, what are the areas of concern, particularly for you today? Yeah, absolutely. So, still problem areas. We're still expecting heavy rain across Northland um, today. Um, we've got some very heavy rain occurring at the moment in Hawkes Bay. Um, and that's going to be easing during the course of this morning, but then pushing down through the Wairapa and into eastern parts of Marlborough. That's incredible. Um, so we wait there until this evening. Can um, will I mean Northland in particular? This is like one, two, three days, isn't it? Uh, that, that they've had of this. Um, it just must be so relentless for them. When, when you have a look at this, uh, get, get, can you give them a time to hopefully hang on until today? Yeah, yeah. Look, we'll, we'll see the rain easing to a few showers um, this afternoon and this evening, and that kind of carries on through tomorrow. So there is a bit of respite on the way, uh, but certainly feel for them. They've had some really rough weather. Heath, I know it's horrible to do this, but there's not another one coming behind it or something else forming up there in the middle of the planet that's headed our way, is there? Look, um, there's, there's nothing in the short term after after Gabrielle moves away, but uh, you know, I've still got a few months of summer into autumn and there's always a prospect of something else moving down from the North Tasman Sea. Uh, we've just got to hope, or the Coral Sea, we've just got to hope that doesn't happen because uh, I think New Zealand's had pretty much enough of these events the last month or two. Oh, we have. Hey, thank you very much for your time and your knowledge. So hopefully, dear listeners, you managed to uh, get some information for you. Hang on there uh, for those of you up north as well. Boy, Northern, you, you've taken a hammering. Um, and Coromandel as well. It's it's pretty horrible. Well, actually, uh, we'll be
be live in Tairua later on where our own Leonard Powell uh, went down there. So we'll be waking him up soon to uh, have a chat to him for the situation. But uh, we'll just go to Japan now, actually, where people are getting ready because it is Valentine's Day. It's a far bigger deal than it is here. And as our Tokyo correspondent, Chris Gilbert, explains, it, it shines a rather revealing light on the country's psyche. Valentine's Day here is kind of an institution, but it's kind of a weird institution. It's kind of a heteronormative one as well, because on Valentine's Day in Japan, I don't know if we talked about this last year, women give chocolates to men. Oh, Women give chocolates to men. Men do not give chocolates to women on Valentine's Day. And not just that, you give chocolates platonically to men. So like when I first moved to Japan many, many years ago, I worked in an English school, and I walked in on Valentine's Day, and I had a whole bunch of schoolgirls giving me chocolates for Valentine's Day. And I was like, whoa, okay, thanks. And then I ran out of the the building as quickly as I could. It's a platonic thing here, and these different types of chocolate. Um, The first type is giddy chocolate. Now, giddy means obligation, kind of in Japanese, which can be a hassle, but it's kind of the thing like, oh, I have to go buy all the guys in my office. I have to go buy them chocolate for Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. That is giddy chocolate. Giddy. Um, and then <laughs> it is giddy. And then the second type is the more classic type, the one you might be more familiar with. It's called Honme chocolate. Honme means like your favorite. And so it's the chocolate you give to your favorite person. A little bit closer to what we know about Valentine's Day. So a woman will give this to the man that she has genuine romantic feelings for or a crush on. And um, homemade choices for chocolates are usually a little bit fancier than your giddy chocolates. The giddy chocolates are more like advent calendar stuff, you know, yeah. like Hershey's Kisses. Yes. For homemade, you want to leave a good impression. And so you want to go up a rung or two into your lint, or, uh, you know, at the very least. Then you have your Tomo chocolate. Now, tomo is the first half of the word tomodachi, which means friend. It's your friend chocolate because as you're out there buying your giddy chocolates and your homemade chocolates, you want to pick up something for your mates. Right. And so these are chocolates that ladies give to ladies. Is everyone, are you keeping up so far? You've got giddy, yeah. homemade, and tomo chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I've got my, my three category of chocolate. Yes, yes. Okay, because it's going on. I'm not finished. Number four <laughs> category of chocolate, Valentine's Day in Japan is jibun chocolate. This uh, in parks and a rec would be called treat yourself. Jibun means myself. So it's just, you know, you're out there, you're buying your homemade chocolate, you're buying your giddy chocolate, you're buying your tomo chocolate. You know what? I'm going to buy some me chocolate. <laughs> and so you buy it just for yourself. There's kazoku chocolate, which is chocolate for the family. But then right at the end of it, when you're thinking, okay, cool, they're just going through all the sectors of one's life, you know, the friends and family, whatever. Right at the end, there's a, there's a curveball, which is gyaku chocolate, which is reverse chocolate. I, I don't think I've ever said the word chocolate so many times in a, in a, in a, a live story before. But reverse chocolate, can you, get, can you guess what reverse chocolate is? That you give it to someone to give back to you and then you've got to act surprised? Oh, no, that makes a lot of sense, actually. People, no, people reverse chocolate... <laughs> uh, I guess they would be called hantai chocolate, which means opposite. Okay. Uh, so, yaku chocolate is when men men give chocolate to ladies. Ah, oh. it's not the norm, as I said earlier, for men to give chocolate to ladies on Valentine's Day. And so, if a guy surprises a lady with a chocolate, it has the you know the chance of delivering more of a genuine surprise. And so, you know, the selection of chocolate in stores is a lot bigger on Valentine's Day than a month later, because a month later is White Day, 
the story makes no sense. White Day is the day a month later that men give chocolate to ladies. And so if they preempt that a month earlier by giving chocolate to ladies on actually on Valentine's Day, uh, women might be like, ah, and like actually surprised. This is a very heteronormative story. Please stay with me. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a whole Pandora's box here in Japan of like who gives chocolate to who on Valentine's Day. There's some politics involved. The, the, the gift giving cycle here in general, like, you know, if someone gets you a, an expensive gift, you have to buy them one back that's 50% of the worth, and then they give you one back that's 50% of the worth, and then you get this Russian doll effect where the gifts just keep getting <laughs> smaller and smaller. The, the politics of gift giving here is, is, is very intense, and I, I feel like if you look into the Valentine's Day spectrum of gift giving, you can get a whole view of Japan's psyche. I mean, who knew Valentine's Day could just shed so much light on when society is at at the moment? It's 22 past five. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up at RNZ National. So coming up, we will be touring around the country to get reports. Uh, Northland, Gisborne, Coromandel and uh, any other live updates that happen along the way. Stay tuned here. Yeah, huge weather event going on uh, around the nation. We were hoping to get up to Taumata Makuku here uh, to speak to Joey Rapana and that's just a little settlement there between Kawakawa and Moirewa. Uh, it seems our communication lines are down there but we will be hoping to uh, bring you uh, reports from Northland uh, sometime here during the show. But of course, um, you would have seen the last big weather event that came through, onions washing up on people's front lawns uh, around uh, Pukekohe. And uh, it wasn't a sight you see every day, but of course that town, famous for vegetable growing, took a battering uh, from that rain. Uh, the latest setback over a tough period for the industry, and we'd sent Leonard Powell down the motorway uh, from Auckland to see how the rebound is going. Carrot Macon is a third-generation commercial onion grower, and the president of the Pukekohe Vegetable Growers Association. I meet him at his seven-hectare farm on the western side of the Pukekohe Hill as he scrambles to harvest as many onions as possible before the impending cyclone. Two weeks on, Kirit describes the impact of last month's catastrophic floods. Uh, she is pretty messy. Was, uh, we were out trying to divert a bit of water into, into drains and stuff, um, but it was just like rivers just of water just running off farm. And uh, and down the roads, just it was, it was pretty pretty messy. We're on a bit of a hill here, so was the water? Where did the water mostly come? Well, f- for us, obviously, we're uh, we're a little bit lower down, but then we capture our neighbours' water. But um, generally, uh, most of the growers here uh, have developed the plan where they have salt traps, and that will capture the water and the salt at the same time. Um, but with the amount of rain that we had uh, on that Friday. Just that didn't matter what measures you had in place, it was just going. I ask Kerrit if he knows how many onions were damaged. Uh, there'd be a percentage, but I, I don't think it's a big percentage. Um, it looked probably worse than what it was. Um, I mean, obviously there are losses. I mean, they've floated down the road, but um, nowhere to the extent that you know, we had this sort of weather event in the late 90s and you know, there's onions floating down a number of streets and into houses, um, but we had nothing like, like the like this time around. While many onions were drenched this time around and require time to dry out, Kirit says only those washed off the farm were written off. All the onions that are on, on, in the field and on above ground, yeah, they're, they're fine uh, in the sense that if they've been lifted and above ground, it's where you've got issues where they've run into roadside drains and, and stuff like that where you'd just say, no, they're contaminated, you'd, just, that, that, you'd have to throw that because it's too big a risk. Auckland's wettest January on record couldn't come at a worse time for many fruit and vegetables, including the onion harvest, which is typically December and January. The ones that uh, got 
rained on so because they're sitting a bit further down the soil because of the amount of rain we'll just flick, uh, put them through another machine just just to aerate them out and um, it just helps them dry a bit better underneath um, and then we'll come through and harvest them. If you harvest onions that are wet can they dry in the bins that you put them into? Or you... No, no you, want, you need to harvest dry yeah it, it creates all sorts of problems if you harvest wet. So that, hence the rush to get them as many as you can. Yeah well they're dry yeah 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 yeah. Kirit tells me what farmers can do to prepare for weather events like Cyclone Gabrielle. Nah, there's not a lot you can do. It's yeah. I mean, obviously we we we've got diggers and just cleaning out some of our salt traps just to make sure that they've got some capacity to take that uh, water if it if it turns up. Um, but there's not a lot you can do. Um, we'll, we'll prep some blank ground uh, or ground that's laying fallow that we may harvested. We'll we'll put some put some cultivators through there so we try and minimise the soil movement if if we get a heavy downpour. Kirit and his crew worked through the evenings and the weekends picking as many dry onions as they could and getting them into the pack house. Yeah, it doesn't get easier, put it that way. Um, yeah, a lot of compliance issues. Um, yeah, a lot of costs uh, costs uh, coming at us that are, you know, uh, making it difficult. But, uh, yeah, we just got to keep going and just, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, people, people need to eat. So, yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons that we probably do what we do, you know. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's the 14th of February, this day of our life, the day that New Zealand men get home at five o'clock and go, oh, shall we just get a cooked chicken and some baps and go and have a picnic? I'll never fall for it. Uh, anyway, let's uh, find out who was born on this day. Simon Pegg. Love Simon Pegg. Great actor, born 53 years ago. Speaking of great, Macy O'Parker. Woo! Uh, he's 80 years old today. Uh, George Washington Gale Ferris was born on this day. Sorry, junior. In uh, 1859, he was the engineer and the inventor of the Ferris Wheel. Uh, it was constructed at 1893's World Columbian Exposition at uh, Chicago, and people went, I like the look of that going to have one. Sticking with inventions Alexander Graham Bell and Elisha Gray both file a patent for the telephone on this day in 1876. A long legal battle ensued which Bell ultimately won in um, 1888 so he's counted as the inventor ahead of Elisha Gray. On this day in 1989 the first of 24 satellites for your GPS system was put into orbit. Aren't we grateful for that at at a time like this? And on this day in 2005 a little website was launched you might have heard of called YouTube. Chad Hurley, Steve Chen, Jawad Karim, uh, three former employees of PayPal, went, let's put this up there. So the very first YouTube video wasn't uploaded until April the 23rd, and it's just a little video called Me at the Zoo. It's very boring, uh, but it features Karim at the San Diego Zoo and has now been watched more than 13 and a half million times. So there it is, YouTube. I thought it would be older, but it was born on this day in 2005, and someone decided in 1991, you know, it would be a great movie to release on Valentine's Day The Silence of the Lambs Is that a date movie? I'm not sure Anyway, that's what happened on the 14th of February The business team never stops It's Ananzaki who's with me Kia ora, how are you? Morena, very well. Sound, I think I had a much uh, quieter drive into work today than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was yes, it was challenging. I'll tell you that. Hey, so tell me, this is uh, interesting. Mining is uh, always a, a very hot point here, but the future of a small gold mining company hangs in the balance. How so? 
Yeah, this is a story we've been uh, following for a while. It's a listed company called New Talisman Gold Mines, and the company says its uh, future depends on a successful capital raising. So it needs more money. Uh, They're trying to raise $3.45 million uh, through a share issue to shareholders. It's not that much uh, when you think about the size of uh, a lot of these listed companies. $3.45 million, for some, it's just a drop in market. Uh, Now, this uh, this is a company that's that's been through the wars in recent years with board divisions, uh, shareholder revolt, and there's also been a damning report uh, from the NZX uh, for breaches of listing rules going back to 2019. And there's also a civil case uh, against the former chief executive, uh, Matthew Hill, for alleged market manipulation uh, and making false and misleading representations. And that's due for hearing next year. So this is all going on, and uh, they're trying to raise some money. Uh, So the company's uh, chair, Samantha Sharif, uh, says if New Talisman can't complete the capital raise, uh, the board of the company, that they believe that there are very few options left for the company and they need the money to get the Talisman mine near Waihi back into operation. And their goal is basically to produce gold, which is pretty important for a gold mining company, and uh, be generating returns for shareholders by the end of this year. So uh, very interesting, uh, chaotic story that's been going on for the last few years. Yeah, Anand, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Anand Zaki. There, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at ten to seven. If uh, in this weather you're still out there trading the New Zealand's dollar, let's see how the cyclone has affected it. It is worth sixty three point four four US cents, ninety one point three nine Australian cents, fifty nine point three one Euro cents, four point three three yuan, and eighty four point one nine Japanese yen. Uh, well, it's uh, time to uh, get a uh, basically a gathering up of all the information that we've managed to get you. This is for up around the Auckland area. Jonty Dine, uh, our RNZ reporter, is with us. Jonty would normally be here in the studio, uh, but it's actually pretty horrible, so we've had to call you. G'day, Jonty. How are you? More than Nathan. Uh, not too bad. Yourself, Mark? Very good. I'm going to do away with this. How was your trip into work this morning question? Um, because, uh, in fact, maybe you can just explain for people out, out there uh, what's been happening overnight uh, around Auckland. Uh, yeah, well, uh, plenty of carnage overnight. Um, that's, it's not just Auckland. That's um, across across the, um, the North Island. A number of evacuations. Um, people have been escaping floodwaters. Um, there have been ho- houses collapsed, um, even trapping people here in Auckland. Um, regions have been cut off. So uh, it's yeah, it's been a pretty miserable night for um, a lot of people. And as I said, <clears throat> excuse me, um, pretty well all the North Island's been affected. Um, so, yeah, a few places were spared. Yeah. Um, I, I understand, though, uh, particularly up out of the northwest of Auckland there, out at Muriwai, um, a, a pretty horrible situation there with a couple of houses, maybe people trapped. What, what's the latest on that? Yeah, that that's right. Uh, the reports we have were two houses collapsed on um, Mutara Road in Muriwai, um, trapping people. And one of those one of those trapped was a firefighter. Uh, we are we are trying to get an update. Uh, of course, hope, hoping everyone's okay in that situation. But um, yeah, we'll certainly come back to you with the latest on that. Okay. So uh, where does it look like the cyclone is at the moment? So the cyclone at the moment is um, southeast of Mercury Island. So that's east of Coromandel. 
uh, and it's moving down the northern part of the of the North Island. Uh, MedService told me its pressure is currently um, 966 hectopascals. Um, so that's a, a new term I've learned this morning. Okay, yeah, that, that air pressure there has gone uh, down there. Um, what is in store for today that, that you know about? Uh, unfortunately, uh, more bad weather um, for, for most of the regions already already suffering. Um, though Mitsubishi have said the winds should ease um, as Gabrielle sort of heads east of, of Tarawhiti. Um, but yeah, as I said, there, there will be more heavy rain um, across the, across regions such as Hawke's Bay and Wairapa, and it's even going to um, that's even going to move as far south as Marlborough. Okay, uh, John T, thank you uh, very much for your time on that. RNZ reporter John T. Dine, yeah, as we said, uh, he was uh, hoping to be in here this morning, but uh, conditions very uh, horrific and not too uh, great there as well. We were also hoping to speak uh, to the Gisborne Mayor, uh, Rahit Stoltz, but see, this is what's happened already. Northlands unfortunately dropped out this morning, so has uh, Gisborne Tairawhiti. So look, um, we, we hope if you're able to hear us down there in Gisborne and Tairawhiti area there, the east coast, also Hawke's Bay as well, um, that, that you're hanging in there. Uh, as we heard earlier from Met Service, uh, this goes through until tonight, uh, particularly for uh, the Auckland uh, area and uh, Hawke's Bay, Tairawhiti. Uh, you will be getting a little bit more of that as well. And of course, um, around Gisborne recently, I know that uh, any of the recent storms that have come have brought down a lot of that slash uh, from up in the uh, in the logging area. Which um, yeah, I mean we, we saw it there as well, but it certainly hasn't had time to to clean up. So there'll be a lot of debris out there in the water as well. As I have a look. Uh, just very quickly here at power outages uh, around Auckland. Uh, it's Waiheke Island. You're back online, which is good. It's really the central city that has uh, its power, but certainly around, uh, particularly the, um, the the Clevedon area around this way, because that's where the way the winds that are coming and and battering. And also, I can see uh, around Titarangi and almost Blockhouse Bay areas as well. They're getting hit with winds that they don't normally get hit with. Um, so this is uh, really the, I guess, the big problem there for Auckland City uh, itself. Anyway. It is uh, time to uh, go to the uh, the news with Vicky. Yeah, widespread uh, evacuations, tens of thousands of homes without power. We will attempt to get to Leonard Powell, who's in Coromandel, and uh, we think he might be uh, around one of the evacuation centres there in Tairua. I know there's been a big concern, particularly of those of you on the eastern side of the Coromandel, so hopefully we can bring you some information on that. <laughs> The Professionals of Morning Report are here after six with a uh, preview of what is happening today. It's the smooth face of Corinne Dan. I'll tell yes, you what, he, he had a shave today and it certainly uh, created quite the hubbub. Well, you know, there's only so long you can carry on with that palaki, <laughs> in a, the, the summer beard. Uh, very much not feeling like summer out there this morning, though, is it? No. Um, we've got a big morning ahead to cover. There's so much uh, of the country that is being affected in the North Island in particular. Uh, so we will be right across that this morning, Nathan. I know that yourself uh, as well have been... Um, dealing with this. It's difficult. Communications are difficult because we're struggling to see a lot of flooding, it seems, or certainly a lot of water uh, river concern in the uh, eastern parts of the North Island. That's mm. Hawke's Bay, Bay of Plenty. Esk Valley uh, is an area which has just been told uh, to evacuate uh, immediately. Uh, so that's a concern. Then there's the slips in Auckland, which are of a serious concern with a collapsed building, it seems, uh, two houses, in fact, in Murawai trapping two people. So mm. that is an ongoing situation as well. 
Uh, and then you throw in the wind, uh, Northland still being hammered, Coromandel still being hammered. There's so much to get across. So we're going to be very busy this morning just working our way through this as New Zealand wakes up, as we start to see see the, the extent of the damage from the cyclone, which is frankly looking pretty serious so far this morning. Yeah, re- relentless. Actually, it's almost uh, it's one year since, what was the other one? Cyclone Dovey uh, that came down. I remember that at the time. We thought that was a big deal, but that was only a Category 1. I mean, you look three, at the so, map yeah. this morning. The weather, I don't know if you look at that. I've become obsessed with the old weather maps. Yes, and, yes, uh, the spinning one. just poof, right smack on the top of Coromandel and really doing its thing. So hopefully it will start to ease over the course of the morning. But the wind is going to kick in, uh, is going to stay pretty strong all day. That's something mm. to watch out for people in Auckland. A lot of roads closed. It's also too many to go through, but... Driving anywhere in the North Island at the moment is perilous yeah. uh, and is to be advised against, uh, I would suggest, uh, at this stage. Yes, so, yeah. did you catch the... We were we right across that, but I've got to ask, Nathan, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. I did. I was very lucky. I didn't lose any power the entire way through, and uh, it was fun. What a it shootout. That was great fun, that game. My goodness me. Uh, it was great to see it go down to the wire like that and, yes. somebody, and lose on a penalty. I know. The guy, it was the, you know, he did it though. He, pulled he did, him. yeah. He even admitted afterwards, yeah, I, I grabbed him. <laughs> so, yeah. But the Philly, you know what? Most importantly, the Philly fans managed to climb their poles. Even I saw though someone it was, climbed the pole. I yeah, saw even it. though it was greased up. So there you go. They've got to get better grease. There. <laughs> we'll talk about that during um, uh, morning report. Thank you very much. There's Corin Dan. Well, yeah. Look, hey, it's just gone high tide in Coromandel as Cyclone Gabrielle bears down on the already flood-soaked region of uh, one of Coromandel's main roads, State Highway. 25A, which connects the peninsula's east and west coasts. It's impassable now. There's a massive slip that's there. Uh, Emergency Management Minister Kieran McAnulty said yesterday that helicopters are on standby should the storm completely uh, cut off the Coromandel's east coast. Gee, they'd be brave to fly right now. Our reporter Leonard Powell, speaking of brave, made his way to Tairua. He was out in the wild weather yesterday and filed this report. So I'll take you in the fire station and you can meet some of our crew. Volunteer firefighter Shani Champion has lived here for 37 years and she's never seen anything this bad. But Tyra's a pretty cool place and we have a big bunch of people that always step up and step in and help out. That's what communities are for. It's Monday afternoon and the region's yet to feel the full force of Cyclone Gabrielle, but already they've helped a woman escape the floodwaters. With the cyclone expected to be at its most violent in the next few hours, Shani and Senior Station Officer Calvin Spence are ready for whatever comes their way. So we just went down there, the police were there, and they have evacuated her to the neighbour's property um, that was seen from Tara Chit Chat. Um, the whole community sort of straight away was like, you know, um, so she, yeah, she's gone. And then we have evacuation centres set up at the hall and the golf course, is it? Yeah, so that's where she'll go if needed. We're definitely a pretty resilient community. Um, I've been here, like I said earlier, for forever as has Calvin but everybody steps in and everybody helps everyone and that's that's the coolest part about this place and yeah so if anyone feels vulnerable or anyone feels alone don't because someone will help you and call 111 for anything. Would you be taking out the truck likely or the van if things get bad? It all comes down to the the call out that's required if we can get away with using the van or the ute we will but if it's a, a fire truck requirement, then the fire truck will go out. Cool. And if it's a jet ski, we take a jet ski. If it's a canoe, it's a canoe. We're, but yeah, we'll do our best to always be there to help. Across the road, Shani's sister, Autumn, is cooking free meals in her Thai food truck for those in need. There's no power, so gas it is. Oh, I just sort of reached out to anyone that needs a hot meal, so it doesn't matter who they're for, just anyone, like, you know, if you're hungry and... Uh, 
you need a hot meal, then yeah. So I'm just going to cook up a pad thai here for um. There's a lady down the road, an, an older lady, and um, she's she's quite a regular. She likes pad thai, and I'm just going to knock up, turn up on her doorstep, and drop it off. So I think she'll be quite happy with that. As the wind and rain sharpened around 6pm, Māori wardens took over at the evacuation centre at St Francis Church for the night shift and prepared for what was forecast to be an evening of foul weather. They said they'd be ready to help people arriving at any time during the night should floodwaters drive them from their homes. That is the uh, that was Leonard Powell's report from yesterday, and he is with us live from Tairua right now. Leonard, thank you, thank you, mate. First off, tell us how was how was the night? Well, I got a little bit of sleep, Nathan. Um, not much, and a bit of a rude awakening that all the cell phone coverage in the area more or less has been wiped out. Um, so I'm standing very still with the single bar of 3G up here on. Oh, that was ironic, wasn't it? You there, Leonard? Yeah, okay, so there we are. I think pretty much that just embodies uh, what's going on there at the moment uh, around Tairua. Uh, Leonard Powell, who was it now? Luckily, uh, we did uh, take a, a bit of a look into the future and we thought to ourselves, just in case these communications drop, and this might be for any of you around the country that are trying to get hold of loved ones in Northland and in Gisborne and the Coromandel area, uh, just in case this happens, uh, Leonard actually uh, filed us a, a little voice note, so uh, here it is. Cell phone coverage to much of the Coromandel seems to be out this morning, going off overnight. Trees down on the roads with more flooding in Tairua and places that were already flooded. Manaya Road particularly, the water has crossed the road and flooded the other side. Uh, more trees down. There's the, been the sort of winds where you drive below trees and uh, you drive below trees and you're worried about them falling on your car. Quite a lot of lightning during the night. And I called in at the evacuation centre. Uh, they didn't have any evacuees, but they did have people coming down wondering about the cell phone coverage. A woman was worried about the stream flooding into her house and a man was looking for petrol for his wife's ventilator. But they were on the radio controls to Whangamata and it sounded like cell phone coverage was out there also. So I've found the only spot on the hill up on Pumpkin Hill north of Tairua that had any reception. But that's the update from here on the ground. Yeah, that's Leonard Powell, who uh, luckily that was one of those ones that we prepared earlier for you there from Tairua. So yeah, I understand that uh, it had been knocked out right up that entire eastern side of Coromandel, uh, up towards well, well past uh, Kennedy Bay and, and that as well. So uh, look, we are endeavouring to bring you the information that we can during the day. But like I said, uh, Gisborne dropped out for us before, so did Northland and now Coromandel too. So uh, for those of you perhaps in the southern parts of New Zealand, this is uh, very much what's happening uh, in the upper North Island at the moment and also we hear too the flooding um, that start, flooding warnings happening there around the Esk Valley too in, in Hawke's Bay. So those of you around Napier in particular as well, the low-lying areas we will try and keep you updated with any of those because of course if there's a breach over that seawall there's a whole lot of very flat land there as well particularly around by the airport and the new developments there and particularly through Onikawa. So uh, what we're going to do now is uh, go to Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis, who's with us. Uh, morning, Nicola. Thanks very much for, for being up early with us. It's been a, a terrible fortnight for Aucklanders, uh, after, particularly after the floods, also Northland and that as well. But it seems like a, a bit more preparedness has uh, happened there in uh, the big city in, in Auckland. Well, Morena, Nathan, um, a huge few days for many people in the Upper North Island. My thoughts to everyone in the Coromandel, Northland, Bay of Plenty, 
Auckland and Portiki, uh, Gisborne, Hauraki, uh, who are affected uh, by this terrible cyclone. I think you're right. We have had some good warnings out to people to get ready, to be prepared, instructions about what to do uh, and who to listen to and what evacuation services are available. And that is a big improvement from what we saw before the recent floods. Um, And I would just encourage people who are listening to keep listening uh, to those civil defence advisories, to stay off the roads if you can in Auckland, to stay home if you're safe and able, uh, and to keep checking in on neighbours and loved ones uh, to make sure that they are okay. Uh, But look, a tough time for many right now. Yeah. When you have a look around, and I know that quite often, you know, there's work across the House to get things done there in Parliament uh, for this. What where, what do you think the priorities should be in the clean-up and, and the aftermath? Well, look, the, the priority will be restoring electricity to those tens of thousands of people who don't have it, uh, making sure that search and rescue services have done their work um, to find and identify those who have gone missing. I understand that search and rescue crews are being deployed up the North Island uh, from elsewhere around the country. Supporting our emergency services personnel who are going to be doing that clean-up work where lives and livelihoods are threatened. Clearing the roads uh, and making sure that electricity and phone services are available. Um, Those things will be the immediate priority Uh, And then beyond that, I know that many New Zealanders are going to be thinking about how we can make sure that our cities and our regions are better prepared for severe weather events in future. The the government's put up $11.5 million here for a community support package uh, to support NGOs and, and community groups. Do you feel that's enough? Well, look, I think that's an important start because what we have seen even in these past two weeks uh, is the need in the community from those uh, families and individuals who've lost their homes, from those who uh, don't have insurance and have lost the possessions in their homes, uh, people who have lost access to their homes, and all of that means that there is some unmet need in the community. I do want to make a shout out to the community groups that have just been incredible in terms of rallying people and support and resources and getting them out to people. Uh, Our MPs in Auckland tell me that some of the work on the ground has been pretty phenomenal. People, yes, rallying around uh, some organisations, but small businesses, uh, individuals, saying, what can I give? How can I help? And you've seen people preparing meals. You've seen people donating goods. You've seen people getting in there and getting stuck into helping out. So that's fantastic. Uh, And I am pleased to see that uh, community organisations are getting support to further those efforts because often that support is so much more effective, you know, powering up the likes of a Butterbean motivation who already have those links and relationships in the community and are motivated to help the people in their community. That's a really effective way of doing things. 
Mm. Actually, I was thinking that, you know, Auckland's leadership, I, th- I think um, the, the public felt very let down by their leadership. Uh, obviously, with, you know, the, the floods that happened a couple of weeks ago, I think a lot of people thought we've got to take this into our own hands. And uh, people prepared anyway. In fact, you know, like there was a, a wonderful community response there with all sorts of sandbags going on. When, when you mentioned there about, the, you know, the community groups, uh, do you think perhaps that Auckland's leadership now might have learnt that it, it's better to work with the community groups than... I, I guess say we need to cut this level of bureaucracy? Well, what's clear to me is that in these uh, few days leading up to the cyclone hitting our shores, uh, our emergency authorities and local authorities have been far more coordinated and concerted about ensuring that people had warnings and clarity about what to expect uh, and advice about how to evacuate. Uh, And it does seem that that coordination between community, local government, government and emergency authorities is happening more effectively. And that's really good to see. Yeah, uh, it's boy, it's a it's just such an interesting time here uh, for New Zealand and the North Island. When you when you have a look at the infrastructure uh, that's around, because I know a lot of people wondering about this as well. How will we upgrade our infrastructure to to make sure? Because these events are going to keep happening now, aren't they? Well, they are. We have been uh, warned by scientists for many years now that one of the effects of climate change is more extreme weather events. I think we often think about the rising sea levels and the effect of higher temperatures, but of course along with that uh, will come more extreme weather events like those we have seen in the past couple of weeks. So what that means for New Zealand is that city by city, community by community, we need to assess our resilience, we need to assess those areas of high risk, and we need to prepare for the future. Now, It's National's view that that's going to require a step up in investment in infrastructure, both infrastructure for resilience purposes, uh, but also making sure uh, that we are replacing that infrastructure which is lost during those events. So we, we want to see that done very closely with communities who know their areas best. We want to see communities being supported to identify those particularly flood prone areas and hotspots to identify those coastal areas that are very prone to erosion and slippage uh, and to take steps to ensure that those areas are safe in the future. Yeah, uh, Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis, thank you very much for getting up early for us here today. Well, uh, yes, we'll head to morning reports now, but uh, have a listen for this uh, weather forecast at the uh, top of the hour. It will be long, it will be thorough, uh, because there is a lot to report today. But I even see, um, you know, in the South Island there, Westport, Franz Joseph, those areas there, you've got a huge amount of wind uh, buffering in for you uh, today. So uh, I think... They love to do place to be. I think place to be is Dunedin uh, today, so uh, enjoy that one. But yes, for the North Island, lots going on for you today. Try and hang in there. Apparently we need to make it through to tonight, those of you in the northern regions. Uh, our heart goes out to Northland and Coromandel and the East Coast. Morning Report is next with Kim and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have a good day.